Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. This Shortwave Report's a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, Sputnik Radio, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. A Japanese climate activist has won this year's Goldman's Environmental Prize for her work in reducing coal emissions in Japan. At the NATO conference, the focus shifted from peace in Europe to following the U.S. in a confrontational stance towards China and Russia. China has dismissed U.S. news reports of radiation leaks at a nuclear facility in southern China. The G7 published a communique which denounced human rights in China and conflicts in Taiwan. The Chinese foreign ministry rebuked the criticism. NHK Japan. A Japanese climate activist has won this year's Goldman Environmental Prize, also known as the Green Nobel. It honors those who've worked to protect and enhance the environment. Hirata Kimiko is the third Japanese national to win the prize and the first in 23 years. She's also the first Japanese woman to receive the honor. After the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear accident in 2011, Plans were made to add 50 coal plants in Japan. Thanks to Hirata's efforts, plans for 13 of them were scrapped. The prize organizers describe her work as equivalent to cutting carbon dioxide emissions of 7.5 million cars annually over a 40-year period. Japan has been somewhat late in realizing the problems of the coal fires. So I want to continue proposing ideas on shifting the economy from coal-fire reliant status to greener ways. Japan and the United States are the only G7 countries that have not set a goal of reducing coal power generation to net zero. Hirata was also recognized for her work in discouraging financial institutions from investing in the coal industry. NATO leaders have shifted their gaze For decades, members of the Defense Alliance have worked to secure peace across Europe. Now they have agreed to pivot to a more confrontational stance toward China. NATO leaders have spent little time in past meetings discussing China. Now they say its behavior presents what they call systemic challenges to the rules-based international order. U.S. President Joe Biden had hoped to refocus NATO after the conflicts of the Trump era. Leaders managed to put aside the past to adopt their new stance. But they still agree on the threat from Russia. Democratic values that undergird our alliance are under increasing pressure 
both internally and externally. Russia and China are both seeking to drive a wedge in our transatlantic solidarity. Biden will meet in Geneva later this week with Russian President Vladimir Putin. They're expected to discuss a series of recent cyber attacks on U.S. businesses and infrastructure. The Chinese government has dismissed the U.S. media report warning of a radiological threat at a nuclear plant. The CNN report focused on the Taishan plant in the southern province of Guangdong. It's a joint venture between French power giant EDF and China. CNN said the French company Framatom, which is an EDF subsidiary involved in operations, had warned of an imminent radiological threat in a letter sent to the U.S. government. China's nuclear safety watchdog, the Ministry of Ecology and Environment, denied the claim in a statement issued on Wednesday. But it did admit about five fuel rods out of more than 60,000 at its number one reactor were damaged. The statement added environmental monitoring near the plant found no abnormal parameters, confirming no leak had occurred. EDF said it was examining the matter. It added the nuclear plant had treated and released radioactive gases into the atmosphere in accordance with regulations. China's foreign ministry has launched a searing broadside at the Group of Seven Nations, whose most recent communique includes references to the, to the Taiwan Strait and alleged human rights abuses by Beijing. The U.S. is ill, very ill. And the Group of Seven had better take its pulse and give it a prescription. The G7 leaders wrapped up their latest summit in Britain on Sunday. The communique stresses the importance of peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait and calls on Beijing to respect human rights and freedoms in Hong Kong and the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. China's foreign ministry spokesperson described it as tantamount to slander and an interference in the country's internal affairs. A few countries, such as the United States, have revealed their intention to widen our differences by creating a conflict and a rift. China expresses its strong dissatisfaction and firm opposition. Zhao also hit back at a joint statement released on Monday by NATO leaders. He said threatening other nations to choose a side based on ideology runs counter to peaceful development and cooperation. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7245 and 7355 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. A report on the G7 summit, where the countries praised their harmony in the wake of the Trump era, unified an anti-China stance, and did little to confront climate change. Swiss voters turned down a law aimed at cutting greenhouse gas emissions. Researchers are warning that the sea ice around the North Pole has shrunk at the fastest rate on record, requiring an immediate drastic reduction in carbon emissions. Following a march of Israeli nationalists through occupied East Jerusalem, militants in Gaza sent fire balloons across the border and were bombed in return, 
ending a ceasefire that lasted only a few weeks, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. U.S. President Joe Biden will meet today in Brussels with NATO leaders after wrapping up the G7 summit over the weekend. During three days of talks, Biden and the other G7 leaders addressed some of the world's biggest challenges, including the pandemic and climate change. But more than anything, the summit in Cornwall, England, was a chance to reassert transatlantic unity after the fractious Trump years. DW's Terry Schultz reports. COVID-19, climate change, and China. Challenges that both united and divided leaders of the world's largest economies as they closed out their three-day summit devoted to a shared pledge to build back better. Brushing aside a squabble over Brexit in Northern Ireland, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson proclaimed it a hugely successful meeting of minds. There has been a fantastic degree of harmony, I mean, between the leaders of the uh, of, our, of our countries. And, and if you look at some of the things, they, they come together uh, to, uh, to agree, you know, a billion uh, more doses, a billion more uh, vaccines. Everyone agreed to phase out uh, the use of coal, a new Atlantic charter, uh, a, a plan to build back better for the world. Biden declared victory in getting support for a tougher stance on China, as well as a plan to invest perhaps trillions in developing countries to create an economic counterweight to Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative with higher standards for human rights and labor. The final communique also emphasizes the need for a thorough investigation into the origins of COVID-19, including in China. That's aimed at preventing another pandemic. While German Chancellor Angela Merkel welcomed the pledge to donate more vaccines now to end this one. Here we agreed this pandemic can only be defeated globally. The way out of the pandemic is vaccines. We must ensure access to vaccines for all. But warming ties among global leaders didn't produce much action against global warming. The G7 renewed a pledge to raise $100 billion per year to help poor countries deal with climate change. That was due to be fulfilled already last year. Never before in the history of the G7 has there been such a big failure in contrast to what needs to be done. More protesters await Biden and his European counterparts in Brussels as they meet Monday for a summit at NATO. A law aimed at cutting greenhouse gas emissions in Switzerland has been narrowly defeated after 51 percent of voters rejected it. The legislation, which was designed to help the country meet its Paris Climate Agreement targets, would have increased a surcharge on car fuel and imposed a levy on flight tickets. Now, scientists are warning that the sea ice around the North Pole is shrinking at the fastest rate on record. We know this thanks to research teams aboard the ship Polarstern. They've spent a year examining the effects of climate change, and they now have finished analyzing their results. They found the temperatures have warmed so much that the world could be near a tipping point. It's a bleak picture of the Arctic and the world's climate system. Snow and ice cover some parts of the North Pole all year round. The Polar Stern research ship and its team of scientists spent a year frozen here, drifting with the ice flow. The early findings from their research show that the Arctic ice is thinning and that in spring 2020, the sea ice retreated faster than ever before. In autumn, the ice refroze later than usual. 
The fear is that the summer sea ice in the Arctic could soon disappear completely. Scientists say this is a warning the world can't ignore. That shows uh, how dramatic the changes in the Arctic are and that we are about to lose, to completely lose the summer Arctic sea ice. And that is one of the important, important tipping points in Earth's uh, climate system. The team compared their findings with 130 years worth of records about the ice. The scientists say the Earth is close to the point of irreversible climate change. But there is still time. We need to act uh, quickly now. We need to reduce our emissions of greenhouse gases uh, drastically and we need to do that during the next decade. Uh, by the mid of the century, at the latest, uh, we need to be climate neutral. Months after this happy homecoming in Germany last year, the results are now out. Scientists hope the world will take action on climate change before it's too late. Israeli airstrikes have hit the Gaza Strip after militants in the Palestinian territory sent incendiary balloons over the border to Israel. A day earlier, more than a thousand Israeli nationalists marched through occupied East Jerusalem. Now, this was the first escalation of violence since Israel and Gaza's Hamas rulers agreed on a ceasefire back in May. Airstrikes in Gaza, less than a month after a ceasefire ended the latest round of conflict here. Tension was in the air in Jerusalem throughout the day leading up to the airstrikes. In East Jerusalem, police cleared the streets and arrested Palestinians while ultra-nationalists and right-wingers gathered near the Damascus Gate to mark the anniversary of what Israel calls the unification of the city in 1967. Protesters felt provoked by the marchers. We came here to protect our land and to show them it's ours and they will not take it no matter what happens. God willing, Palestine will be free. In Gaza, militants prepared their response to the right-wing Israeli rally. We have been launching fire balloons toward the Gaza border all day as a response to the marches that the settlers intend to carry out near the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Damascus Gate. The balloon attacks triggered a swift response from Israel's military, who bombed sites in two cities in the Gaza Strip. No casualties were reported from the strikes. Later on Wednesday, a Palestinian woman was shot dead in the West Bank after she tried to attack a group of Israeli soldiers. It's been a testing 24 hours, but the next days will show how committed both sides are to avoiding another war. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, dw.com. On to Sputnik Radio. On his program called Going Underground, Afshin Ratansi interviewed Claire Daly, MEP, a member of the European Parliament from Ireland. In this excerpt, she discusses the Julian Assange case and how it shows the hypocrisy of the West in calling out Russia on human rights abuses and Alexei Navalny's arrest and the West tensions with China and why the policy is pushing the European Union closer to the U.S. 
Also, the myth of the Chinese threat. Sputnik Radio. Joining me now for analysis from Brussels is the Independence for Change MEP for Dublin, Claire Daly. Why for you is uh, the imprisonment of Julian Assange uh, sought by the Joe Biden administration for maybe 175 years in prison? Why, why is he so important in the context of geopolitics and the, and the meeting today? Well, I suppose Assange's case really exposes the hypocrisy of the European Union and the US in constantly lecturing Russia about human rights and about imprisonment of journalists or whatever. And then here we have a probably the biggest press freedom case of a generation. Assange being denied his freedom for 10 years for exposing US war crimes. And Biden uh, continues that prosecution. It's, it's utterly apparent why lecturing Putin about what's going on in Russia. And in fairness, the European Union does the same. They talk the talk uh, in one way, and then they ignore the big, the big other issues as well. So to me, it just totally exposes the hypocrisy that is uh, going on. This, is, this isn't about human rights, it's about geopolitics, really. Assange in the olden days was uh, wined and dined in here. He was brought in here by some of the more, I suppose, uh, conservative, the liberal political groups in here when he was the in buzz kid of the day. And then they all kind of dropped him. And I suppose it's a feature of um, the Atlanticist outlook that prevails in the European Union. And it's fast becoming uh, eroding its own independence to any great extent. So I think, look, a lot of them wouldn't even allow me mention his name in a report on fundamental rights for the, the period 2019, when just bizarre, when we go on about freedom for journalists and freedom of expression, and we can't mention the Assange case. You know, he was arrested for doing journalism in the EU and they don't even speak his name. I mean, I made the point last week that he has been without his liberty for 10 years. His health is really jeopardized. And it wasn't 10 days when the Open Russia found, um, head fellow wasn't even uh, arrested 10 days and the European Parliament was passing uh, emergency motions demanding his release. I mean, the two don't add up. Clearly, it's not about freedom and fundamental rights. It's about game playing and using these issues. It's about the weaponization of human rights. It's disgusting and it prevails here all the time. What we've had is a really complicit EU who have been buying into this um, Atlanticist agenda, who have been really accelerating Russiaphobia, uh, anti-Russian sentiment, anti-Chinese sentiment, and indeed racism at an alarming rate, which with no bearing to the actual facts in the situation. Often this rhetoric can get out of hand. I think we've seen that with China. China is the EU's biggest uh, trade partner now. But a lot of the rhetoric and mounting off by the European Parliament about trying to stop the China trade deal now is gaining a certain momentum, while a lot of the individual countries, obviously, and they probably sense will probably prevail, it's dodgy territory. And, and I suppose the important thing for, from my perspective, this is about reflecting the US's desperation against the backdrop of a changed world order. Because when Biden says that China is a threat to peace and stability and the security of the United States, he's actually lying. There are no security threat, but they are an economic threat. And that's very much where it's coming from. And the EU is playing a dangerous game because actually by putting a chasm between our relations with China and with Russia, 
the US is fueling a situation where we will be more dependent on the US, which I don't think is good. I don't think we should be dependent on anybody. I think the EU should be uh, furthering its own independent course. Certainly, there is a, a growing anti-Chinese sentiment fueled by, I suppose, fear of China's growing economic supremacy. Actually, that's not a view that's shared by Europeans. There was a, a study commissioned recently which found that 40% of Europeans see China as an ally or a necessary partner, with only 12% of them seeing China as an adversity, whereas no uh, member state predominantly thought the US was an ally. So it doesn't make sense. But to me, one of the anti-Russia uh, sentiment fuelers is very much the arms industry here. I mean, if you want to justify arms expenditure, particularly at a time when economies are struggling with a health pandemic, why would we choose to spend more money on defence? Well, you've got to have an enemy. And Russia has been painted into that. It's largely fueled a lot by the representatives from the Eastern European countries um, on the borders of Russia would fuel this. But it's not unusual that the European Parliament would be out of touch with its citizens on this issue, as it is with so many others. The European Defence Fund in the past. What, what is that? Okay, well, that is, uh, I would say, and some would argue that it's actually illegal because we're led to believe that the European Union was supposedly founded to bring peace on the continent of Europe and never would there be a world war again and all that good stuff. But it's just a fairy story, really. But in its constitution, there was never to be a scenario where defence expenditure was directly funded from an EU budget. All that changed in this a financial uh, package going forward for the next few years. For the first time now, the EU budget is used for direct military expenditure. We have an appalling new scheme called misnamed European Peace Facility, which actually should be called the European War Facility. This replaced a fund which was the African Peace Facility, which was supposed to be for investment in Africa after they helped destroy the place in the first time, but that's another story. But the African Peace Facility funds could never be used to fund arms or militarism. Now the European Peace Facility provides European money, some of which can be used for African nations to buy back European arms to use in their own countries, destabilise the situation further, and probably then when the refugees come to the borders of Europe, the same big companies will benefit from the contracts to keep them out. So you have this big circle of slush fund for the big arms companies on so many different fronts and it's a complete departure on what the EU was set up. So can Ireland be compatible with that? I would say no, but obviously they are. They play this duplicitous game where we're in, but we're not in. I mean, we're not the only non-NATO uh, country, but I've had questions recently showing the closer and closer move of the EU to a lot of NATO activities and they just say, oh no, we're only observing or we're only looking on, we're not fully involved, but they are. They have blood on their hands too, as far as I'm concerned. So I find it really objectionable the way in which Russia and China are being cast as these uh, enemies, if you like. You know, we had this NATO summit about uh, the growing Chinese threat. Like, this is a nation of 1.6 billion people their military budget is lower than the military budget of Western Europe, yet China are a military threat. It's absolutely ridiculous, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, let's see. I don't see any um, pawing of, of relations there, though. Not really, you know. Well, Ireland is neutral. Maybe they'll meet there uh, next time.
Claire Daly. Thank you. That excerpted interview is by Afshin Ratansi from his program called Going Underground, heard on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia, available online at rt.com. You can hear the whole interview up there. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me keep producing this freely distributed weekly radio show. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba, a viewpoint on the corporate media's bias against Venezuela. Reporting places the blame for the poverty in the country on the government rather than the financial sanctions imposed by the U.S. and some European nations. The latest crisis is the inability of the Maduro government to complete the purchase of COVID vaccines. Radio Havana, Cuba. The corporate press portrays a bleak picture of the situation in Venezuela without alluding to, or rather downplaying, the impact of the American and European Union sanctions. The objective is to blame the government for the deprivations suffered by the population, illustrated by Caracas' difficulties in acquiring vaccines against COVID-19. The South American countries' authorities have scarcely raised over $100 million to pay for consignment of injectables, supported by the World Health Organization's COVAX system. However, the last part of the financial payment, amounting to $10 million, is blocked because the banks have to investigate the money's origin. This is an example of the obstacles that the Venezuelan financial system faces, which derive from the sanctions implemented by the United States since the frustrated coup d'etat of 2002. During his term in office, former American President Donald Trump signed six decrees that prevent Venezuela from suddenly negotiating its foreign debt. The provisions blocked the access of the government and the oil industry to the necessary sources of financing. By the end of 2020, more than $7 billion of Venezuela's assets have been blocked at 40 international banks since 2014. This is added to the losses that the sanctions have caused to Venezuela, mainly in regards with its oil industry, amounting to more than $130 billion. Of course, the detention of bank funds punishes the Venezuelan public treasury to the point of reducing the possibilities of purchasing food, medicines, and now vaccines. The consequences have been explained by the United Nations Human Rights Rapporteur, Elena Duhan, whose final report will be presented in September before the Human Rights Council. Johan, who visited the South American nation, pointed out that financial restrictions due to the causes mentioned above slowed down the processing of essential spare parts. In spite of the Johan's remarks, multilateral sanctions still weigh on Venezuelans after the change of administration in Washington. The purchase of vaccines is delayed by persistent actions contrary to international law and which call into question the preservation of life. That viewpoint was from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcast links are no longer updated. 
On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 6000, 6060, or 6100. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's www.outfarpress.com. At my website, you can listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. This shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels exclusively. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.